0: Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. What an end to the 2021 football season, huh, people? I guess now I can officially say Happy New Year. Now that football season is officially over, it is 2022. And so you can kick off 2022 by heading over to betonline today to continue betting on basketball, hockey, some MMA, and the big dance being right around the corner use the promo code believe b l e a v to get a 50% welcome bonus when you sign up today bet online where the game starts good Except it isn't live, because it's a podcast. Welcome in everybody, it is February 16th according to my count, may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is you may be listening. We've got a great show with Razor Rosenthal coming at you today. Really appreciate Razor stopping by, recapping the Super Bowl. He got a big victory in the Super Bowl this week. You'll hear about that in a second. We're also going to uh, get into college basketball ever so slightly. Razor is really, really smart when it comes to college basketball. This is his second year doing college basketball content with us. Here on the Take It Easy podcast, our production qualities have gotten better over the years, so I will throw that out there as a small little flex to ourselves. We have gotten better production quality at this point, so we'll get to that in a second Every time I come on this A block of the podcast, I think about quarterbacks in the NFL, which this has just happened for like the past week or so because you have drama with Kyler Murray in the Arizona Cardinals. That's fascinating. And I want to do a full scale podcast revisiting Deshaun Watson coming up here. And Russell Wilson is fascinating. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are fascinating. Yesterday was the Carson Wentz experience, which you can check out. Here on the podcast, the story of the day is Derek Carr might get $40 million from the Raiders, which doesn't make any sense, but the Raiders are essentially a minor league football team at this point. The Raiders, the Jaguars, the Dolphins, they're basically playing minor league football, and sometimes when you have a good thing going, like a Derek Carr, you sign up for him for 15 years. Not really sure why, but looks like the Raiders might give Derek Carr $40 million a year, to be their quarterback for the next six years when the Arizona Cardinals can't decide whether Kyler Murray is worth six years in his prime in his 20s which is one of the most incredible things I can think of at this point in time the Raiders are like we've got a quarterback he likes being here we're just gonna ride it with him as long as we possibly can like the Falcons are doing with Matt Ryan but Matt Ryan won an MVP at one point and The Falcons are now kind of playing minor league football at this point. The Falcons aren't quite playing minor league football because they're not awful. They're just in a rebuild, right? Except their coach doesn't really show any signs of being special, and they have beef with a wide receiver that we just don't understand what happened with Calvin Ridley. Obviously, it's not a lot of our business around Calvin Ridley's mental health struggle, but just disappeared, and we haven't really heard much from Calvin Ridley since. Uh, Obviously, they picked Kyle Pitts last year instead of a quarterback. Time will tell on that one, but they passed on Jamar Chase at the top of the draft. Knowing Kyle Pitts is still really good. The Falcons are basically playing minor league football. They get the 8-pick in this year's draft. Maybe they turn it around like the Panthers have tried turning it around. Anyways, so the point there was the Raiders' story was fascinating. Every time I come here, there's another quarterback thing. I think I'm just going to wait till we talk with Blake Jude and we talk with some of the other friends of the show coming up in the next couple weeks before we uh, condense all of this talk together because I don't want to be the guy who does immediately post-football where are all these quarterbacks going to go like we did last year with Deshaun Watson and we did with Aaron Rodgers and we did with Russell Wilson and we did with Carson Wentz when all of those moves didn't ultimately matter that much and the biggest move of the offseason was during the middle of the playoffs when Matthew Stafford got traded for two first-round picks and Jared Goff. So I'm not going to do that podcast right now. I've kind of filled a little A block here a bit. Let's get to our conversation with our friend Razor Rosenthal because that's much more enjoyable than any conversation about whether Derek Carr should get a $40 million contract from the Raiders or not. We'll just wait it out and let that happen. So with that being said, here is our good friend Razor Rosenthal from Beer Life Sports, Beer Life Official, and his new podcast, which you can check out on YouTube, under the Beer Life Sports YouTube channel, check it out with our friend Razor. Great content. Uh, He has the link to all of those in the description to this episode. I put in the links specifically, so please help support Razor's content. Much appreciated. Let's get to the show. What's better than having peace of mind? Nothing. And that's what NordVPN is here for. To give you peace of mind while you're online and protect you from all of the threats that you face on the internet. NordVPN is available on all of your computers and devices. No matter the operating system, NordVPN has got you. You can get your exclusive NordVPN deal today by going to nordvpn.com slash Use the link in the description to this episode as well. And use the code believe. B-L-E-A-V. You can pick up 70% off, 70% off your NordVPN plan, and you get an additional month for free. It's also 100% risk-free for 30 days when you sign up. That's nordvpn.com slash believe. How are you doing today?
1: Doing great. I can't complain. Uh, we got through the football season with an exciting Super Bowl, when it comes to gambling, not a great Super Bowl game flow, but a fun game to bet, and I, I'm very fortunate. I did well there.
0: Well, you also said the Super Bowl is always your kind of exhale for the entire season. Is that yeah. you get to uh, yeah. you get to relax after winning for the entire season? Um, the <laughs> the Bengals plus four and Rams money line combination worked out thanks to johnny hecker dropping the snap on the extra point it ended up being three instead of four at the end instead of a push which would have been kind of funny
1: yeah it really depends on where you bought it where you shopped for that number at four four and a half but kyle like i said don't bet it big i bet those two plays and one other play hit them all i tell you the play that i went for that i usually Would be scared out of my mind, and that's the best receiver and the Super Bowl MVP under the total, uh, Cooper Cup. Uh, This this number, Kyle, uh, creeped up to 108 and a half one hour before kickoff. This is this is not against a Cooper Cup play. This is against the betting public, everybody, Joe Public, Sharps, everyone just pouring in money. I want to be with the Vegas books. I want this to go under. So bigger play there. Two small plays on the Bengals plus four and a half Rams money line. Um It was a super, super bowl for Razor. You know, we got lucky, but it worked out.
0: Well, ironically, Cooper Cup ended up winning Super Bowl MVP and still hit the under on that, which I think yeah. 108 seems kind of crazy because other than that one time Calvin Johnson went like an entire season with having 100-yard games every game, like it's really – not that common for a receiver to go over a hundred yards. And even in that game, you would have thought with Odell Beckham getting hurt partway through that, ah, shoot, Cooper cup is going to go off here. Cooper cup did go off at the end of the game and still ended up being under the total. I think he had either like 92 or 93 yards in the game, plus the two touchdowns. So yeah, he, you could win super bowl MVP even without hitting the over on that one, which is interesting because I think this is now like two times in the last four Super Bowls that a wide receiver won Super Bowl MVP. But this one, Cooper Cup had the two touchdowns in the game winner, but still was under 100 yards receiving.
1: Yeah, what I was hoping for Kyle was for Cooper Cup to get his touchdowns. That was fine, those eight to twelve yard touchdowns that won't really hurt that 108 and a half number. And let him, you know, let him do his thing between the 20s. What I don't want to see is Matt Stafford throw a bomb from the 20-yard line and catch it, you know, for, for 62. Then we would have been dead, dead to rights. But you have to look at what Cincinnati did. Against wide receiver ones over the last three weeks in the playoffs. Okay, AJ Brown had an average game for Tennessee. I don't even know who Vegas's wide receiver one is. Perhaps it's Hunter Renfro. And then Tyree Hill. I mean, I mean Tyree Hill. Second half, uh, you and I could have combined for more yards than Hill. I don't even know if he caught a pass the second half for the Chiefs. So Cincinnati did their job. When it came to shutting down the number one option for those three teams I just mentioned, and half is really difficult on a big stage. Can't trust Matt Stafford that much. He had his opportunities with Cup early on in the playoffs against two bad secondaries, Arizona and Tampa Bay, and that's where... I felt the number got inflated. So, yeah, I was excited to see it go to 108.5. I probably would have pulled the trigger at 106.5. Anything under that was a little scary. So I just looked at that play and I said, let's let's go for it. Also, a genius play by me just for fun. We talked about it 50-50. I played heads. So I, I got to be honest with you. The, the, this was probably my most successful Super Bowl because I probably put the most bets on and I hit everything. But, again, I don't I don't bet it big. I, I really don't. I, I really just, just like to watch the commercials. I thought a couple commercials were really good. The halftime show, that's my generation for the most part. You know, Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg, so I enjoyed that. But, like I said, overall, uh, it was a very, very – Boring game, I thought at times, but uh, a, a game that won us money. And, and by the way, our, our Oracle, I want to plug this real quick. You know, this was the final game of the NFL season, right? So we have to come up big for our subscribers. We have to give them a good play. And it was Cincinnati plus four and a half, five units. So, you know, that was that's how you want to end the season.
0: Yeah, that seems like an excellent finish for Again, like you said, a game that was not really interesting, but it was kind of similar to what happened in the Bills Chiefs game a couple weeks ago where it's like, well, the game was kind of interesting, but the first three and a half quarters like just didn't matter at all because at the very end you had the drive to win the game and then the Bengals have a chance to win the game and that's how the Rams win the Super Bowl. And there are lots of things you can point to before then, but it felt like the entire game came down to two drives. And that was the entire outcome of the entire season. And what is going to go down is one of the weaker Super Bowls of the last 10 to 20 years still. But even with that, Still, a, the end of the NFL season, the championship that people will overinflate for the Rams and the legacies of Matthew Stafford did come down to one play. Also, every time you mention Hunter Renfro, I'm obligated to mention the fact that while looking like a 48 year old man with two children that are my age, Hunter Renfro had more receptions this year than Stefan Diggs more yards than Mike Evans and nine touchdowns, which I believe was like 10th in the NFL last year. So just ridiculous that Hunter Renfro could look like that and be able to play as well as he did for the Las Vegas Raiders, taking over Darren Waller as the number one receiver, even though Darren Waller is six, seven and can make one handed catches.
1: Uh, Hunter Renfro is an incredible story from the get-go before he even entered professional football, scoring the game-winning touchdown against Alabama as a walk-on down at Clemson. I mean, this guy has proven, just like Cooper Cup, everybody wrong. And these two guys, as crazy as it is, are are some of the best wide 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 receivers in the league. It's because they get open. It's because they run intelligent routes. They're not the best athletes, but they run routes That a lot of wide receivers are stubborn to do, and they are making plays when it counts. So, huge Renfro fan. Been great for Daily Fantasy, just like Cup. And, uh, again, uh, what a year. What a year in football. Great playoffs too, Kyle. That's one thing we have to mention. Again, every single game, for the exception of Buffalo, New England, and L.A., Arizona, within a touchdown. Remarkable.
0: I love that we are just pretending like the Steelers and Chiefs didn't exist because we yeah, should. That, this, that game that didn't exist.
1: That should not have happened. And I, I say and I also you know, miss Tampa Philly. But again, we go back to the two yeah. Pennsylvania teams. They shouldn't have been in the playoffs. I mean, it was just I don't even count those games because I think we were all excited for Buffalo, New England and Arizona, L.A. So those are games I count. The, the Pennsylvania games, forget about it. Those two teams had no business being there. I don't yeah, count I did.
0: those. <laughs> I watched the first quarter of Tampa-Philadelphia, and then I said, I'm good. I've seen all I need to see. I didn't watch the rest of that game. But, uh, yeah, there, that was the theme at the beginning of the playoffs was – the teams that didn't belong in the playoffs just happened to make the playoffs this year. Part of that was the Colts collapsing. Part of that was the chargers missing the playoffs, the saints losing a tiebreaker incorrectly to the Eagles. Like all of that just kind of knocked some teams out of the playoffs that belonged in the playoffs It was just a, a weird year in that way. That that first round ended up that way. But once we got to the second round, everyone was kind of evenly matched and you had the Packers and chiefs have all time collapses in the playoffs. So that added to the excitement because usually we maybe get one of those every year. We got two of them in back-to-back weeks of all-time type collapses from the presumed Super Bowl favorites. I assume next year's Super Bowl favorites too, if, you, if I had to guess right now with the Chiefs and Packers.
1: Well, it depends on the Aaron Rodgers landing spot, right? If Aaron Rodgers returns to Wisconsin, I think Green Bay is by far, they still are the best team in the NFL. I mean, the the combination of Rodgers, Adams in the backfield and their defense, I, I thought put them in the Super Bowl this year. I just cannot believe the horrific special teams by the Packers three weeks ago against the Niners. And just not really good offensive play calling, abandoning the run completely against the 49ers midway through that game. It should have been, should have been a what could have coulda, all these different Buffalo Green Bay. That is what we should have saw a few days ago at SoFi Stadium. But it's not what we saw. Congratulations to the Los Angeles Rams.
0: I mean, even the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, there, there were talks that the enemy wasn't going to get retained after the performance that he had at the end of the, the Cincinnati Bengals game, which is kind of fascinating because... Kansas city went one game. It all fell apart. My argument of three years that they were going to be something special. It all fell apart at the end there. Um, any thought, any thoughts on the Bengals side that the, the Cincinnati Bengals, I said coming out of that, that they weren't good enough to win the super bowl, but they were good enough to beat the Rams on that day and kind of like steal a super bowl in this really weird mutated season. Um, what'd you think of the Bengals coming out at the end of that game?
1: think the Bengals deserve to win you can make that argument but there are a couple you know mitigating factors let's talk about the no call t higgins touchdown i mean that probably should have been opi was not called uh ramsey getting you know his head taken off pretty much chopped off game of thrones style on that face mask um i also think you know odell beckham jr going down you know was so massive because there was such a rapport early on with Stafford and OBJ. You got to feel bad for people who had that OBJ prop, right? I mean, that's brutal. I mean, you were just about 11 yards from cashing a ticket midway through the second quarter. And it's it's ironic that that, that happened. And I think it was really good PR for a lot of the big books, Kyle. A lot of the big books refunded their players that had over um, Odell Beckham Jr. on receiving yards in the Super Bowl I thought that was commendable but anyways um, I thought Cincinnati was okay I, I mean I, I think the play calling you know it's just fascinating to me you, you see all of these fourth and third and one calls in the playoffs are just so poor I mean Tennessee versus Cincinnati when they had a chance at second and one I go back to that play Julio Jones catches a pass for nine yards places Tennessee on the 34-yard line and three straight debacle plays by the Titans just flips the script. Cincinnati has the ball. This was fascinating that on fourth and one, I think you have to run the ball to Mixon, right? So Mixon's out of the game. He's had success throughout this game. Piron comes in. The pass rush has just destroyed the Cincinnati Bengals all year, and it really became a problem in the second half. So now you're giving Aaron Donald an opportunity to make a play, dropping Burrow back a few steps. And just it just you saw it coming. Like I, you know, I, I didn't I didn't want him to get the first down. I, I wanted the game to end because I had the Rams money line and the Bengals plus four and a half. <laughs> Perfect situation. I want them to do something really foolish here. Uh, and they did. I, I don't know. Looking back at it now, I, I felt like the play could have been mixing. Or, or maybe even chase on on some sort of end around. Just let's not drop Burrow back because you know he he he's not he's not too mobile right now. After that that sack a few minutes prior, right? It looked like he was in a lot of pain with that right knee, even though it was his good knee. I thought it was poorly executed. Um, I thought Cincinnati played an average game against the Rams who played an average game. So I think you can make an argument that Cincinnati deserved to win the Super Bowl. but at the end of the day, you have to be smart on these critical third and one, fourth and one. They were not bad decision to drop back. And uh, that's it. Rams won it. You know, I I think that was, that's, that's the tale of the tape here is, can you make the right decisions at critical spots? And they did it.
0: Yeah, the, the Bengals in third and one, fourth and one situations really did struggle in this game. I think back even to the first drive of the game that set up the first Rams touchdown, they had third and one, didn't convert, fourth and one, P Ryan's wheel route kind of brought the defender right in the path of the pass, and then they immediately converted it into an OBJ touchdown. Like, Burrow played okay in that way, and the, the only turnovers they had were turnover on downs at the end of the game, but... The Bengals just got swallowed and it it was crazy to me that they got all the good breaks, whether it be the T Higgins play with the face mask or whether it be the uh, the interception by Stafford that went through the guy's hands. They could have had 24 points with three minutes into the second half. And if you had told me after that field goal that the Bengals would score another point in the game, I would have been stunned that it was 20-13, to and the Bengals didn't score the rest of the game after the T. Higgins play in that one. And it was just the offensive line, it felt like. It was the offensive line, and a little bit of inability to run the football was the demise of the Cincinnati Bengals.
1: Yeah, and and I 100% agree with you on, on, on all those talking points. I do think Mixon probably could have gotten going a little more if they could have you know, stuck to more of a Mixon plan second half, kind of just faded in the weeds there, you know, because I think Mixon is capable of wearing you down, uh, especially on those third and one and fourth and ones. They never got, gave him a look at that. I know he's not the third down guy. I know he's not a fourth down guy, but man, you know, critical spots like that against this, this offensive line, not holding up, just let your, let your star RB Find a way to get a yard and a half, and let's continue on with this drive. Critical mistakes early on as well. I didn't mention that. You did. Early on, third and fourth and ones, failed to convert. That cost them the game. And I'll tell you what. You take away that T. Higgins touchdown, I mean, uh, the Rams could have won by by a lot more. I can tell you that right now because that just changes everything. You know, could have, would have, should have you take away that stupid interception by Matt Stafford at the end of the half, they could have dropped the pass to acres who not many people have talked about this. Acres was wide open for a screen pass. Wouldn't have converted the first down. I think it was like third and 19, but that's a Matt gave 42 yard attempt, right? So a lot of different things transpired gifts on both sides in some ways, but the Matt, the Matt Stafford interception failure to call the OPI, game-changers to keep this within the number. I think, looking back at this, Cincinnati could have won this game. But I really think if you had the Rams at four and a half or four, I think you should be very frustrated, more so than if you had the Bengals' money line. That's how I want to conclude the Super Bowl. If you had the Rams minus four, you should be more frustrated than Bengals' money line.
0: Yeah, and the Rams thing is so fascinating because this was their whole theme, right? They should have Blown out the 49ers if their offensive play calling hadn't been the way it was. Or, you know, they should have won by 35 against Tampa Bay because they put pressure on Brady and the offensive line fell apart. And then they had dumb plays over and over and over again that kept it within, I think it was 27 27 at the very end. That was kind of the theme for the Rams for the last three games was. Yeah, they're the best team here. If you take out the Bills and the Chiefs and the Packers, they're the best team left standing. They're just playing down to their competition ever so slightly. They're good enough to win the championship, though, and they did. So good on them, and I hope Aaron Donald (laughs)
1: retires. (laughs) Well, before we transition out of this Super Bowl, you just hit on a point. Sean McVay's play calling was horrific. First down run nearly every time with Cam Akers failed. I think you have to make adjustments, right? I mean, I'm not a genius. McVeigh apparently is, right? So it, it just it just doesn't work. I just don't understand his play calling. Same thing against San Francisco. A lot of poor play calling. That it's like yeah, it's the definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over again without success. So I mean, McVeigh put together. I thought a pretty weak game plan for the exception. The one thing I really liked was that Cooper cup end around. I believe it was fourth and one mid fourth quarter. If I have that right. Um, Yep. It was was on that
0: drive that ended up with the Cooper cup touchdown. It was played early on in the drive.
1: Okay. So let's say what five minutes left in the game, six minutes left in the game. When that transpired, that to me was unique. That was exotic. That's about the only thing I could say that really caught my attention on a big play. With a smart, unique design, run because I don't think they saw that coming. Right? I mean they they haven't seen it all game, and there you go. But McVeigh just kept running Acres right into a wall on first down. Maybe if you, I'd love to see the stats on how many times did Akers run the ball on first down for either a gain of two to negative yards. I, I would assume it's probably seven or eight times. It just doesn't make sense.
0: I know as a team, they averaged like 2.2 yards per carry for the entire game when they handed the ball off to running backs. It was – they just couldn't run the football. And this is the thing that I found interesting when I was doing the analysis was – Sean McVay built the, or I guess less need to an extent, but the team was built in such a way where they knew they couldn't run the football. Like they didn't have a good running game. Cam Akers was gone most of the season. So it was Daryl Henderson and Sony Michelle who was picked up off the scrap heap from the Patriots. Like they didn't have a running game, but they didn't use the running game throughout the season. The Rams were one of three teams that was above five hundred. That lost in time of possession this year, which just you know loosely suggests that they throw the ball more than they run because incomplete passes stop the clock. So McVeigh wasn't doing it all year. And then I look back at the end of the game, and it was like, okay, seventy percent of their plays were passes. It wasn't as dramatic of a running eff- effort as I thought it was. Like seventy past thirty run is kind of, it's a pass heavy game plan, like relatively speaking. Um, it's, it was not as bad as I thought it was, but the same way through, I was like, why do you keep running the football on second and 10? Why are you calling handoffs on first and 10? Why are second and four you're calling handoffs and now it's third and six, like the whole way through, I was having that same feeling, but I think that was just, the Rams are not a very good running team. And maybe if they want to accumulate whatever draft picks left they have, they can try and trade for one of these running backs or sign a running back this offseason if they really want to improve the running game. But I thought their problem was just, they just had a poor rushing attack all season and we knew they had a poor rushing attack all season and that poor rushing attack got exposed at the end of the season. Cause it was never really that good. Um, McVay, I feel like he's getting a bad rap for the play calling on that one, but it, it's, it wasn't as offensive of bad play calling as, like, I don't know, Andy Reid or Eric B. Enemy at the end of the Bengals-Chiefs game. It was bad, but it wasn't as bad as I thought people were giving him crap for.
1: Yeah, I'll give you that as well. I, th- I, thought, I thought the Andy Reid, Kansas City fourth quarter basically the whole second half (laughs) yeah cincinnati was just horrific and and it it really frustrated me as a bills fan to watch that unfold thinking to myself wow we take the Bengals in orchard park and we run them out of the gym there i mean i i really believe that i thought we mean we have a better defense i don't think that you know in those conditions we're going to see burrow sling the ball Everywhere at Orchard Park, I think the game day temperature would have been about you know 17 degrees in Buffalo. But these are a lot of what ifs, Kyle. We we uh, you know a lot of what ifs. If my aunt had testicles, she'd be my uncle, but she doesn't. So uh, that's where we're at with that. Unfortunately,
0: this is the thing that I had said about the Bengals all year. As someone who profusely said, as I think as early as mid December, that the Bengals were not a playoff team. Um, the the Cincinnati Bengals flaws poor offensive line, an offense that as much as as fun as it was to watch them this year, an offense that finished like 17th in DVOA this year. um, The Bengals would normally get exposed by better teams early in the playoffs. Like if they had to play the Bills and the Chiefs, maybe they get lucky and upset Kansas City, the one in a thousand falling apart that the Chiefs had. But then if they had had to also play Buffalo, I don't think they would have gotten that lucky again, unless Buffalo played themselves out of the game. It w- it, they benefited from having not just Lamar Jackson get injured so that they could win the division and host a playoff game, but also play the Raiders and the Titans who were like in my books, like the, the 10th best team in the AFC and the sixth best team in the AFC in their first two playoff games. Um, And that's kind of just like you said, it's a it's a what if situation that the Bengals almost snuck a Super Bowl out of this incredibly weird mutated season. And they were going to be the healthiest team at the very end because Kansas City fell apart, the Ravens got hurt, and the Titans were injured. And the Raiders were not good enough to make the playoffs. And also they had the Rams had an apocalyptic number of injuries at the end of that game. And the Bengals were almost going to sneak away with the Super Bowl at the end of it all. But they did not. So they did not no they did not. It was fun while it lasted though. It was fun to another believe in those Cincinnati,
1: things. I'll tell you what, the Cincinnati's had some heartbreak, you know. They did make the Super Bowl, and so, ironically only against NFC West teams, the Rams and the 49ers. A little bit of heartbreak. One of the one of the one of the Super Bowls were fantastic, the other one was terrible, but you know, it's tough. Since being a Cincinnati fan must be tough, but you got to give those fans a lot of credit. They really showed up all season long and they really uh, made an impact in the playoffs. They, they really showed up in Nashville and Kansas City. And it, it's over. You know, it's a sad day. Super Bowl's always a sad day, too, because you have to ask yourself, when's the next football game that counts, that matters? I don't know if it's the – USFL or whatever it is, you know, but it's, it, it's Nebraska uh, Northwestern in, it's in Nebraska six months, Northwest, exactly. <laughs> week zero, right? We, we, right? Week zero, like we chatted for the Illinois Nebraska game. So, yeah, I mean, Northwestern Nebraska can't wait to chat that when we get to the end of the summer. But oh, it's time, it's time for college hoops for me. that That's what I'm excited about.
0: Well, let me ask you about college hoops because I have just discovered the college basketball rankings for the first time two weeks before the tournament starts. I am delighted to see the fact that in the top 50, according to our friend Ken Palm, we have three teams from the Pac 12. Four from the West Coast Conference and five yeah. from the Mountain West, which is the greatest sentence I've ever seen, that there are more teams from the West Coast Conference and the, the Mountain West than there are in the Pac-12 in the top 50 right now in college basketball. West Coast is back. It's just not the Pac-12. Call the West Coast Conference the Conference of Champions this year because I, I love the fact that the Pac-12 can't compete in basketball against the West Coast Conference.
1: Well, let's let me let me plug my show real quick. The Razor's Red Zone tomorrow. I have Roxy Bernstein of ESPN who covers primarily Pac-12 games. So really excited to talk to Roxy about the Pac-12. Which I disagree with Ken Palm, uh, Kyle. I think the Pac-12 is pretty good. I mean, it's not terrible. You have a lot of disappointing teams in there. Arizona State, huge disappointment. Oregon State, after reaching the Elite Eight, they are horrible. I believe they have one conference win. I think Oregon is a little dangerous, but they just lose to bad teams too frequently. A terrible loss at home to Cal Berkeley on uh, Sunday afternoon or Saturday afternoon, whenever that was. So, yeah, I mean, I get it. Ken Palm is going to put USC, UCLA, and Arizona as the only teams. But those are three dangerous teams. I mean, Southern Cal is good. Southern Cal is a team, though, unfortunately for them. They have some bad losses swept by Stanford. I think they lost somebody else at the Pac-12 that was really weak. But UCLA and Arizona are dangerous. UCLA can play nine guys. When we talk about this, every time I come on your podcast and talk about NCAA hoops, I talk about whether or not you can play nine guys. If you can play nine guys, you can make a run in the NCAA tournament. So UCLA and Arizona have that capability. Now, going back to the Mountain West, that's that's probably the conference championship that I'm most excited for in Las Vegas. I'll tell you a team that is unbelievable this season, covering the number, the Wyoming Cowboys. How about the Cowboys taking over the Mountain West? The number one team against the spread in the Mountain West, the Wyoming Pokes. Um You got some good teams. Your San Diego State aspects, they're tough, man. They don't score very often, but they're tough. But Uh, that's a San Diego
0: State team my entire life. They never score points. Football and basketball, they never score points, and they play great (laughs) defense.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's it. I mean, I I don't know who's – Running the point, is it Ron Burgundy, whoever it may be for San Diego State, but they figure it out on defense. Boise State's pretty tough, too. And I think the guys up in Fort Collins, Colorado State, man, these teams are just – these are teams you do not want to face in the NCAA tournament because you haven't seen them. If you're a team like Kentucky, right, you just don't want to see on your line Colorado State or San Diego State or even Wyoming because – it's just so foreign to play these teams that have been battling it every single night for the most part unless they're playing there's some bad now Western conference. San Jose State is horrendous right so you have teams that are bad but this is a really fun conference to watch as far as the West you know as far as the, the western goes you know I I, I I don't take anyone serious there except Gonzaga so I I, I know San Francisco's tough st Mary's is tough but I, I I just don't think that 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 group of schools are going to do anything in the tournament. So I look at BYU.
0: Does BYU excite no. you at all?
1: They don't. They don't. They, they have, they have gotten so lucky to win games. Uh, Saturday night. I had BYU on the money line. I don't even know how they won this game, but they figured out how to barely be. Was it, was it Loyola Marimont Is that who they beat? 93, 92 in overtime. And it was just a horrible game by BYU. No, BYU does not skip No depth, zero depth on that team. Uh, they will get run out of the gym by a Gonzaga or St. Mary's probably in the semifinals in Vegas, but very exciting uh, basketball out West this year.
0: Looks like BYU beat Pepperdine on Saturday and Loyola Marymount on Thursday. So BYU Thursday? got a nice little okay, win Thursday. streak.
1: Yeah. I'm pepper- I mean, listen, you know, it's Pepperdine, beautiful school. It's on the ocean, but not, not a good basketball school and Loyola Marymount not very good either. So yeah, I'm not too, I'm not too scared of BYU. And I don't think, I I, I think they're a bubble team, but I just don't see them doing any damage like some of these other mountain West teams.
0: Well, does Utah state get in the conversation this year? I see they have a lot of losses, but Ken Palm has them kind of high. So does Utah, they they don't have, they, their coach left, right? I think I remember yeah. somewhere back in my mind, the, the, the yeah. bald guy who looked like a, like a horror movie villain is, is coaching <laughs> somewhere else. I think
1: I think he is too. That's a good, and that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. I think he's gone. I think Utah state's good. I, I, I just, I just don't think that they're a team that again, they, they lost a lot, right? They're, they're almost, they're probably like a really, really good rebuilding team. They probably, uh, are probably your overachievers for that conference, but I don't know if they get into the tournament. It's going to be really close. They're going to have to finish the regular season really strong. Here, uh, I, I don't have a good handle on Utah State getting there and doing anything. I I I, I, I think Wyoming is scary. I, I just remember this podcast here on February 15th. If Wyoming can dance, they will win around as a 12 or 13 seed.
0: I will take your word for it on that one because... As uh, someone who grew up loving watching the Mountain West tournament, I know that that tournament gets very weird very quick sometimes where all of a sudden you look up and Larry Nance is winning the tournament for Wyoming in 2015 over the Aztecs. And I'm just very confused how that happens. Uh, For people who have been listening to this podcast for a long time, you may remember that Craig Smith is the name of the former Utah State coach. He's now upgraded to coaching at Utah. I encourage everyone to Google Craig Smith because he looks like he he looks like the person at the murder mystery show that everyone suspects (laughs) is the murderer. Um, That's basically what I was going for there is that that's basically what Craig Smith looks like. He's now coaching the eight and 13 Utah running Utes instead of... uh, Coaching Utah State, so I yeah, guess apparently regarded as an upgrade for him.
1: That that's a rebuild in Salt Lake, but you know, I, I think I think it was the right move. You have to. And I, I I apologize. I didn't even know that. I feel bad. I should be knowing where one coach from that conference goes to the Pac-12. Yeah, I I think that's a good move. I think Utah basketball is always, you know, in the conversation, like once every four years to perhaps contend for the Pac-12. So I like the move for him, but obviously it's a rebuild. Utah is a bad team right now. They are part of a very bad bottom Pac-12 conference between Arizona State, Washington, and Utah. That's some pretty bad basketball.
0: Uh, I guess we're going deep into the Utah youths lore here. The last time Utah made the tournament was 2016. Uh, They made a sweet 16 run back Mm -hmm. in 2015. uh, But that appears to be, well, 2009, 2009, they made the tournament. So a couple sweet 16s in the past 15 years for Utah, but three tournament appearances in the last 17 years for Utah.
1: Yeah, and I, I think Utah, while they don't dance a ton, they seem to always be a team that that makes it tough for other teams. I don't really know if you get an award for that, a participation trophy, but I tell you what, I've had some tough losses betting against Utah, like taking the Oregon Ducks and Salt Lake on the money line and you're like, how did this happen? Well, Utah Utah found a way. But, yeah, you're right. Not a great history, but I'm sure the payday uh, from Logan to Salt Lake is dramatic. So good for him. I wish him luck in Salt Lake and any other uh, murder mystery uh, dinners that he may attend <laughs> as an actor. But, yeah, he's a scary dude. He did a great job in Logan. That that Utah State team, That I think it was two years ago or three years ago when they knocked off – uh, your Aztecs for the uh, Mountain West Conference Championship. That was a hell of a game and a, and a heartbreaker for San Diego State.
0: Yeah, that was the equivalent of like the last basketball game before the pandemic. Before, canceled yeah, March that's right. Madness.
1: I remember that. That's funny you mention that because I, I, I was there at a sports bar watching that game. And it, and it was and that was the last sports bar that I actually watched college hoops, you know, for a long time, you know, because, you know, we were not we, nothing was open. So my last bet that I can remember at a sports bar with that much drama that unfolded was Utah State beating San Diego State. And I had your guys on the money line very, very much hurt, very much hurt that day.
0: Uh, I also thought Craig Smith was at Minnesota for some reason before starting this. Um, apparently the coach at Minnesota is someone named Ben Johnson. Uh, yeah. So I, I, when I said he left, I didn't realize he was at Utah, uh, but he, the guess Craig Smith is now leaving Utah state. He also looks like he wears an aggressive amount of eyeliner. That's the other thing I've <laughs> noticed about Craig Smith. I don't know if he's kept that up at Utah, but it looks like he wears eyeliner when he coaches on the sidelines. Um, anyways, so uh, let's ask you about the ACC because the one that well, one it's in your backyard, of course, uh, but also the one thing I knew about college basketball this year is that the ACC is kind of in chaos right now and filling the void is a lot of West Coast conference teams on the bubble. So what is going on with the ACC and why is Wake Forest good at basketball?
1: Wake Forest is really good in basketball because they've had a lot of transfers and they are going to be difficult to beat in the AC, excuse me, not only in the AC tournament, but in the NC2A tournament. I don't want to play Wake Forest if I'm a one seed because I, I think they will end up on the eight or nine line. Uh, Duke is by far the best team, probably the biggest variance that the ACC has had in years. The problem is Duke just doesn't really know how to play. Uh, four games in a row. I mean, the loss to UVA is inexcusable at home at the buzzer. They should have ran UVA out of the gym. The loss to Miami was a little surprising. So, you know, I I think Wake and Duke are the only two teams that I am confident that can make either a major or mini run. Duke can win it all. Wake can make a mini run to the Sweet 16. It's really just all about matchups, right? I mean, if Wake can find a team that's small, they can they can beat a one seed, and that, who knows who that one seed will be. They don't want to play Gonzaga. Gonzaga's too big for Wake. Uh, Miami's dangerous because they have depth. They play about eight guys, and they have a great backcourt. And I think Miami has great experience with Lanegra. Negra. I think Miami's tough. And then it really just ends there, Kyle. I don't trust the Tar Heels. I, I think Carolina doesn't have any depth, which is – shocking to say they play a six and a half guy rotation at the most. Um, Other teams on the bubble, Notre Dame, I mean, Notre Dame is not good. They beat bad teams, but when they are on stage against good quality opponents, I wonder what their Ken Palm ranking is. You have to pull that up. They just don't beat good teams and they don't compete with good teams. So I'm taking out Notre Dame in this mix, whether or not they make the tournament, the ACC is down two teams that make runs, Wake and Duke, throwing everybody else in the trash.
0: So Notre Dame is currently 58 in Ken Palm. Okay. They are around the likes of Kansas State, TCU, Missouri State, Northwestern, which woof, if you're in the same camp as Northwestern, uh, Belmont and Chattanooga are the group that are hanging around Notre Dame at this point. Um, I I was going back into the archives and I was trying to remember in my mind as someone who like used to say as a kid that his favorite days of the year were the two days where he got to watch March Madness in school. Um, I don't think I've ever seen Wake Forest play <laughs> in March Madness. Like As long as I've All been alive, blind. I don't think I can remember Wake Forest playing. Apparently, they played a first four game a few years ago at the, the, the round in Dayton. Uh, but 2010 was the last time that Wake Forest was a full-fledged team in March Madness. They were also apparently the team that lost to that Cinderella Cleveland State team a bunch of years ago. I forgot about that, but I, I just can't remember Wake Forest being good at basketball in my entire
1: life. This is not your father's or very older brother's Wake Wake Forest teams. They haven't been good for years. And they're good now. They're tough, man. They beat up on all the bad teams in the ACC, and then they beat decent ones as well. So I like that about them. They're not afraid. They'll go to Charlottesville. They'll beat Virginia. They'll go to Blacksburg. They can beat Virginia Tech. They can go down to Coral Gables, beat Miami, go to Tallahassee, take care of business against FSU. Wake Forest is dangerous. They have some great players. They have Big Dallas Walton is a great center for Wake Forest. So I think they're going to be fine. You just have to get them the right matchup in the NCAA tournament because they're in. They are the number two seed in the ACC. I mean, they lock them in because they are going to make, I think, a mini run in the NCAA tournament. Now, as far as one let me, let, me, let me touch on one more team, Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech is a quality team that has underperformed early on this year. So I'm going to go ahead and say Virginia Tech is a team, if they can somehow get into the tournament, would be a team that can make a run because they have perhaps the second-best backcourt in the ACC. They were preseason number two in the ACC by many publications. They just started off too slow. I think they were 1-5. Now they've caught up. I think they're 7-6. and six. You'll have to check that out for me, but they're on a winning streak. They beat Syracuse at home. They beat Virginia at home, and they've beaten some other good teams as well. Is
0: Buddy Beheim still playing at Syracuse right now?
1: He is. They're disappointing. Yeah, Syracuse just cannot win these close games, but yes, he's still there, and I thought he had a chance to win player of the year. And that's not He's been the there case for 10 anymore. years. No, it's not the case. He's been there for 11 years, so he's, he's still there. <laughs> he's going to be an assistant
0: coach pretty soon on those teams. I by give it three years. He'll be a, an assistant coach with Syracuse as well. Um, what's the deal with Florida State? Why is Florida State like 100 on Ken Palm? I thought Florida it, State was like a shoe-in tournament team early on in the it, year.
1: Just injured. A lot of injuries for Florida State. Good team. Good team. Okay. Just can't, can't 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 overcome these injuries.
0: That's good to know. I haven't watched any college basketball, so that's easy explanation. I'll take your word for that one. Uh, What else is interesting here before we wrap it up on here with the college basketball? Oh, I do have one more question I had for you before that. Um, Houston, I know that Quentin Grimes was the star player last year, and now he's in the NBA, but I still see Houston's ranked near the top 10. They're eight on Ken Palm. I don't think they're top 10 in the, the big rankings, but... Why is Houston still really good as they lose? I think they're two leading scorers from last year. One graduated and one went to the NBA.
1: Yeah, they lost two key starters, as you just mentioned, but they are very deep and they play a big rotation. Houston's lost two straight games, though. They they, they lost at SMU. I think they blew a 15-point lead to the Mustangs in Dallas and then just got run out of the gym by a team that I've said all year long. I mean, they're so good, but they don't know how to – put it together but now they're starting they're starting to do that and that's the Memphis Tigers. So Houston losers up two straight. That conference championship now is really up for grabs which is going to be a fascinating one down at Fort Worth. Um I don't trust Houston though. I really don't. They have depth, but they don't have that star like Grimes to rely on to make the big plays. So I'm going to stay away from Houston. No pre-flop bets on them to win the tournament. I don't even I don't even like their odds for the American. It's just not a good money line for them. So I'm staying away from all Houston futures as we approach the conference championship and the NCAA tournament. Um, I would like to talk about the big 10, which I think is the best conference. Um, I think that Purdue, Michigan state, Wisconsin and Illinois are really dangerous teams. I think all four of those teams are final four capable. Of course, not all four are going to make it, Maybe one and a half do though, right? I think like you can set an over under of, you know, know, it's a little extreme one and a half, but these are really tough teams that have a lot of depth, have a lot of size. All those teams I just mentioned have tremendous size in the paint. So I cannot wait for this tournament to transpire. I think it's in Chicago this year. It usually rotates between Chicago and Indianapolis, but I'm, I'm pumped to see Michigan state, Wisconsin, Illinois, Purdue, Battle it out. And and not only that, but they're going to have to go through Iowa, Indiana, Michigan. These are not bad teams. Ohio State, that's your quarterfinal matchup. That's tough. So um, get ready for a really good Big Ten championship in two weeks.
0: Does Indiana have a chance this year?
1: They should, but they don't. I mean, they just, they have been falling apart ever since we got to about January 15th. You'll have to look at their record, Uh, you know, or at least their last four games. I don't think they've won a game uh, in, in the last four or five attempts. They have a ton of talent there, but it's just falling apart ever since they beat Purdue in a huge game in Bloomington. Indiana has kind of lost their way. And I think they are a very dangerous team if they can figure it out. I think they're probably an eight or nine seed in the Big Ten tournament, which is brutal because you're you're setting yourself up for a very difficult draw. You know, know, when you're Indiana, you're going to have to fight every single game as opposed to if you were a four or five seed where, yeah, you'll get that easy Penn State-Minnesota game, right, to start off the Big Ten tournament. Not for Indiana. I don't know the seedings. But I can promise you their first round is going to be difficult. It's probably going to be a team like Iowa or Ohio State or Michigan, which is not an easy path to continue on because they're going to have to at least reach the finals to get into the NCAA tournament. That's a big ask right now for a team that's struggling.
0: Um, What is the deal with Michigan and Ohio State at this point? Because I thought those two were like the perennial front runners for the Big Ten this year. And both of those teams seem to have fallen off kind of hard. I know the Michigan thing happened like early in the season. I kind of knew Michigan wasn't good for a couple months, but what ended up happening with both of those teams while we were all watching the NFL?
1: Yeah, I I think Ohio state's okay. I think they're going to be just fine. They obviously, you know, they went to Ann Arbor, ran Michigan out of the gym. So I, I think Ohio state's problem is close games. They don't finish. I mean, they had, Rutgers dead to rights. They could not finish the Rutgers game. They had a chance to Purdue. They they took down a 20-point deficit cut the lead to one and just collapse in the last two minutes of that game when that was played in West Lafayette. So Ohio State is good enough to play in the tournament and beat a lot of good teams. So I'm okay with them. They're kind of where they should be, but maybe a little bit of an underachiever. Michigan has underachieved. And again, we go back to depth. I watch Michigan a lot and I see about six guys that can play for that team that can get minutes that can contribute. And when you're only playing six or seven guys consistently in this kind of conference, you just can't survive this this season. You know, it it doesn't work. It doesn't work for two and a half months of playing the likes of Wisconsin and Iowa and Purdue and, and, and running these guys down, wearing them down. Michigan lost some key players, and I think they are the biggest disappointment by far in the Big Ten.
0: Well, last year in the Big Ten, when they put all those teams in the tournament, we kind of rallied behind Rutgers as the kind of like anarchist team that I think they won a first round tournament game last year, and then they were up. 15 against Houston who ended up going to the final four and they were coming out of that weird bracket that had a bunch of upsets in it and Oregon State made it to the to the lead eight. Um, so who is the crazy team that we should all rally behind this year and why is it Rutgers again as the team as like what? a 10 11 seed that we should rally behind.
1: Man, they're tough. That, that That's a blue collar, hard nosed basketball team. Rutgers they're they're the same design as last year. I mean, you could almost make an argument that Rutgers could beat a finesse team like Houston of twenty twenty one. Yeah, I think Rutgers is, is in the argument for being a really nasty, dirty team. But I think it's Alabama, to answer your question. If Alabama makes the tournament, they should. I don't know what their Ken Palm ranking is. It should be good because they have beaten good basketball teams, but they've also lost to really bad basketball teams. Alabama's dangerous. I think if, if you are uh, playing Alabama – you're not going to be happy, especially if they're a 10 seed and you're that seven seed and then that seven seed has to wait for the two seed. I think Alabama is the most dangerous team that will probably have a double digit seed next to them in the NCAA tournament.
0: All right. I will take your word for it on that one. Um, any other final thoughts to throw at you? Oh, I got one more question for you. Who is a better team? Chris Beard's former team at Texas Tech or his current team at Texas? Because they have the same grade on Kempom right now.
1: Well, if you look at the result in Lubbock, it it clearly shows you that Texas Tech is much better than Texas. Uh, But I don't think the talent reflects that. I think Texas has more talent. I do think Texas Tech will emerge because they're tougher as the better team and a team that can make a larger run in the NCAA tournament. The depth is probably equal, maybe an edge to Texas. But I look at Texas and I see a lot of holes with softness and you don't get that in Lubbock. I think Texas Tech is a very difficult team to battle with. I I think the, the, the more talented team is, is in Austin, the team that will go deeper, I think in Kansas city and in the NCAA tournament would be Texas tech.
0: All right. Any final thoughts before we wrap up here?
1: Uh, you know, I I tell you what, from a betting standpoint, I, I say this every year, the just like the super bowl, the NCAA tournament is very difficult to handicap. It's fun. You know, I'm big. I, I like to play in multiple brackets. I don't bet this heavy. I love conference championships to bet on because there aren't as many upsets when you can money line parlay. You know, the one seed playing the eight seed in the Mountain West, the two seed playing the seven seed in the Big 12, those higher seeds typically win and they really, you don't see too many upsets transpire. So play smart, bet responsible. And all I can ask is for everyone that's listening to this podcast, please give us a follow on Twitter. My handle is at Rosenthal Razor at Beer Life Sports is our Twitter, Twitter handle. And of course on Instagram at Beer Life Sports and Kyle, as always, I appreciate you giving me the time. I look forward to chatting you, uh, chatting you, chatting with you about more college hoops down the road.
0: Absolutely. That will be our next thing for the next three or four weeks is getting ready for March badness to roll around. So Uh, If you want to follow Razor, use the links in the description to this here episode because I do go back and I find links to his work and things like that. So use the links because I'm doing the work to put them there. So support Razor, people. Uh, Thank you again. I appreciate it.
1: As always, appreciate it, Kyle. Have a good week.